Sam. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat, please. Today we get to continue with our sermon series, character studies of the grounded and ready. I know Blaine looked at uh, Joshua and Caleb a bit last week. Today we get to continue with this series by looking at Joshua uh, again. So let me read to you the passage that we're going to be focused on. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, into the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Alright, so today we're going to focus on courage. What is courage? Wow. Why do you need it? And then how do you get it? So let's let's consider what is courage? Uh, growing up playing sports, nobody ever wanted to admit that they were afraid, that they were scared, that they felt weak. Fear was considered a weakness, and I think, I mean, a middle school boy, high school boy, never once uh, attached to their name, the label, afraid, right? And so, you know, what, would, what did we do? We all tried to pretend like we weren't scared. We, we just avoid, tried to avoid the topic. We tried to stuff it. We tried to hide it. Um, I still remember boys walking around with these hats that said no fear on them. You may remember it. Um, but this was kind of the attitude that you shouldn't be afraid. And if you were, you never wanted to admit it. Um, now that I'm an adult and I've been able to talk to many of the guys that I played sports with, what I found out is that we were all afraid. We all were, were fearful um, playing. And don't you know, even the greatest athletes of all time deal with fear. So I don't know if there's anybody here or anybody or anybody at all that likes watching the 30 for 30s on ESPN. I love watching them. I watched the one about Derek Jeter, the captain, right? Um, little did I know, I mean, when you watched him play for the Yankees in the most difficult of times and when the, you know, the lights were the brightest, he just always seemed to deliver and come through. What's interesting, he always seemed so cool and calm doing it. What's interesting is you watch that documentary 
when he was drafted by the Yankees and he was in spring training, he was calling home to his parents, crying, telling them that he wanted to come home. And he got to the place where he didn't even want the ball to be hit to him because he was so afraid. I mean, fear was so real and it was there, but I didn't know that. Um, I also watched the 30 for 30 with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and it was when they were breaking the home run records, right? And of course, there's an asterisk by their names because of the performance enhancement, uh, enhancing drugs that they took. But Mark McGuire, during that home run chase, that record chase, he, it was so stressful for him that he ended up seeing a sports psychologist during that time to deal with the enormity of the stress that he was under. And so even the greatest athlete, athletes deal with fear. Um, here's the thing I've noticed though, and this is what it was like growing up. None of the coaches that I ever played for talked about fear. It was almost like they were afraid to talk about fear because if they talked about fear, well then maybe it would make the players even more fearful. And so even the coaches just kind of ignored it. Nobody <laughs> talked about it, but we were all afraid. Um, my senior year, uh, we went to the Final Four, and so we got to play at St. John's Arena where the Buckeyes play in front of 10 to 13,000 people. And I remember that moment, you know, we <laughs> rode a bus there. Normally, most teams acclimated by getting there watching some games. We did not. And so you're literally getting out of a bus, going into the locker room, and before you know it, you're just walking out onto the court in front of 10 to 13,000 people playing the biggest game of your life. And the basket just seemed like it was in the middle of an ocean. So much space. You look up from the court and it was just like the seats never ended. They towered above you and the people in those seats never ended, right? And, but did our coach ever talk about like, you're probably going to be really nervous. You're probably going to be fearful. No, no. And none of us ever talked about it. But I know we were all scared and we played like it, right? And so this is how we typically deal with fear. Fear is real and yet it seems like we do not know how to relate to it. Fear, here's one of the truths about fear. It's real and actually it's healthy. Fear is healthy. Um, if you are standing at the Grand Canyon, it's probably a good thing that you have fear. <clears throat> That keeps you from taking another step, right? When you're on the edge. If fear causes us to look both ways before we go out into the road, right? It's a good thing. Fear causes me to like actually prepare a sermon, right? Because I, you know, the fear of failure, the fear of like not delivering, right? If you have a test coming up, you know, fear of failure of that test can drive you to prepare. That's healthy. Um, fear of Losing your life or losing your health can drive you to take that, you know, go make that doctor's appointment you've been dragging your feet on. Fear is a tremendous asset. That's the truth about fear. Here's the other side of truth. The other side of the truth about fear is that fear can be a tremendous liability. So how do you know when fear has gone from an asset to a liability? Here's how you know. Fear becomes a problem when you allow it to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. That's when fear is effectively shrinking your life. It is no longer helpful, but actually hurtful and harmful. This brings us to what courage is. What is courage? Is courage the absence of fear? No. Does it take courage to lay by 
a pool on a warm sunny day with a cold drink in your hand? No, that doesn't take courage. Is this something you need to do? Maybe. Is this something that God has called you to do? Yeah, maybe it's part of your Sabbath and you're, you're obeying God. But unless you have some weird pool phobia, it doesn't take courage to lay by a pool. Right? So, what is courage? Courage is not the absence of fear. It is doing what God has called you to do and living according to His values despite fear. Courage means doing things scared. That's what courage is. If you're not afraid, there's no need for courage. Courage is not suppressing your fear, ignoring your fear, resisting your fear. It is acknowledging it as a guest. You allow it to be there as a guest. You allow it to come along for the ride, but you do not allow it to dictate your actions. Fear makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. In our passage, I really appreciate what God said to Joshua. Notice that not once, not twice, but three times in just nine verses, what does God say to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Notice God did not say to Joshua, get rid of all your fear. Man up, quit being a wuss. God didn't say that to Joshua. He said, be strong and courageous. What does that imply? That Joshua is going to be afraid. That's what it implies. God would have not had to have said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, if there was not going to be fear there. Right? And so, this is what Joshua heard from God based on my translation of the Bible. Joshua, I know you are filled with fear, and I know you will continue to face fear, but it doesn't have to rule you. It doesn't have to be your master. It doesn't have to shrink your life. You don't have to get rid of it. It can be there. Despite your fear, you can follow me. That's empathy. God has given Joshua empathy in his fear. Unlike the coaches in my past who had no idea what to do with fear, God is addressing it head on. He's not treating, you know, like pretending this elephant in the room doesn't exist. He came to Joshua and he addressed it. Are you afraid today? Are you scared? Are you anxious? Are you worried? If so, guess what? You are in the right place. You're in the right place. It's okay to feel that way. It's not abnormal. God is not shaming you. We are not shaming you. It's safe to be fearful and anxious right here. We know it's not easy. We know you wish it weren't so. You are right where you belong. All right, so what is courage? It's doing what God wants you to do, afraid, in spite of the fear. Okay, why do we need courage? In our passage, Joshua... God is calling him to lead the Israelite army into the land of Canaan and to conquer that land, right? And, and, and to take it as the Israelites' own. Uh, so it's pretty obvious you're going to need some courage to do that. You may remember, especially from what Blaine shared last week, that 40 years prior to this moment with God and Joshua, Joshua and uh, 11 other spies spied out the land and the report was they came back to the leaders of the Israelites and all but Caleb and Joshua said, like, look, it's a, it's a no-go. 
they, they are overwhelmingly powerful. There's no way we're going to be able to take that land, right? And so they said stuff like this, like in Numbers 13, 32, and 33. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And so, only Joshua and Caleb thought it could be done, and so as a result, the Israelites, they don't go into the land, right? And as the story unfolds, they then spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Okay, now, the question is, what will Joshua do now? It's 40 years later. Will the fear of the, his fellow Israelites rub off on him? Or will he be strong and courageous and go into the land of Canaan? Uh, so it's no wonder that God came and addressed Joshua's fear. Now, you need to know, he needed courage. We need courage today. Here's why we need courage today. Why do we need it? Because following God today, following Jesus today is hard. It is difficult. Look, for one, to start a relationship with Jesus, it takes courage. Why does it take courage to start a relationship with Jesus? Because the way you start a relationship with Jesus is admitting your moral failure. You are a sinner. You don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. Acknowledging that, admitting that, owning it, Confessing it. That's the repentance part. That takes courage to look at your failures, your flaws, your weaknesses, right? And admit it and own it. Following Jesus requires you to rebel against the sacred law of our culture, which is this. This is the sacred law of our culture. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Nobody has the right to define who you are. You can be anything you want to be. You have the right to self-determination. Do not let anybody ever take that right from you. Assert yourself. Be true to yourself. You know what Jesus thought? Jesus thought, Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What Jesus is saying Look, you need, to get, you need to crucify your right to self-determination. You need to not assert yourself. You need to surrender yourself to me. And I will determine your steps. I need to be your boss, your CEO. I am not interested in being your consultant. I am not interested in being Lord of only part of your life and not all of your life. If I'm not Lord of all, I am not Lord at all in your life. Amen. This is what Jesus comes and says. And so, following Jesus requires you to do something our culture thinks is absolutely absurd and crazy. Give up your right to self-determination. It's crazy. At least our culture thinks. Now, <clears throat> thirdly, it takes courage to obey the commands of Jesus. Jesus' commands are radically opposed to the culture of our world. They're subversive. They're rebellious. 
They're revolutionary. Look at these. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Oh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard the commandment that says you must, commit, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We as men, from the time we are boys, we are conditioned by our culture to lust. And here, Jesus is saying, you commit adultery even if you lust after another in your heart. All right, Matthew 5, 37. But let your yes be a yes and your no a no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. How about Matthew 5, 38 through 42? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you, on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever impels you or compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. How about Matthew 5, 43 through 45? You have heard it, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. How about Matthew 7, 3 through 5? And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is hanging out of your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, following Jesus repeatedly requires you to do extremely difficult, countercultural things. It takes courage to follow Jesus. The abundant life that Jesus came to give us, guess what? It's on the other side of hard. It's on the other side, not the near side. Jesus taught, look, there's two ways you can live your life. Here's the two ways. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. You can enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and what? Difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The path to life is narrow, and it's difficult. And so, to, uh, following Jesus takes courage. The life you want is on the other side of hard. All right, so that's why we need courage. Let's go to how do we get courage. Uh, how, how do we get courage to admit that we're sinners? How do we get courage to rebel against the sacred law of our culture and be true to yourself? How do we get courage to follow Jesus, Jesus and his commands? To walk that, to enter in the narrow gate and walk the difficult path that leads to life. What does our passage have to say about how we get courage? Check this out. Notice, be strong and courageous is not the only thing that God told Joshua. 
When you're afraid, telling yourself to not be afraid, not be afraid, don't be afraid, doesn't help. When I'm doing that, when I'm saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, what am I doing? I'm drawing attention to it. I'm submitting it even more into my mind and heart. It's not helpful. You know, a counselor, my counselor's done this with me. Don't think of a black elephant. Don't think of a black elephant. What are you going to do? You're going to think of a black elephant. What you resist persists. That's not how you handle fear. By telling yourself not to be afraid. How can we handle fear? Look, God doesn't just say to Joshua, don't be afraid. That's not God's counsel to Joshua. This is what he tells Joshua. And these are the very things today that we need if we are going to live courageously for Christ. Here's the first thing that God tells Joshua. God promises it, uh, Joshua his presence. <clears throat> Joshua 1.5, as I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Joshua had to know if he was going to be courageous that he wouldn't be alone. That there wouldn't be any point as he's going after the promised land that God would forsake him, abandon him, walk away from him, give up on him. Because of what God has done for us through Jesus, you know we have a better promise from God to us than God had for Joshua. Here's God's promise to us is that he won't just be with us, but he is actually living in us if we've trusted our life to Jesus. And God can't get any closer to us than living inside of us. Look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How about 1 Corinthians 6, 17? But he who is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit with him. John 14, 19 and 20. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, Jesus is telling his disciples, because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and, check this out, you in me and I in you. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. How about Matthew 28, 20? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As Christians, we never face our fears alone because we are never alone. There is not one second of any day that we are ever abandoned, ever rejected, ever without Jesus living in us. Our life is hidden in him. We are his body. We are his bride. And Christ will not reject himself. Knowing that God is living inside of us. He is leading. We are assisting. He is going to do the heavy lifting. His grace is sufficient. Amen. That's uh, something that can give us courage. All right. Here's the second thing that Joshua tells, or God tells Joshua, and we need to hear this too. God appeals to his faithfulness in his communication with Joshua. Notice this, that God points Joshua to what God has done with his forefathers. Because when Joshua thought about his forefathers, what did God do with them? Well, he, he, he promised Moses, look, I'm going to take you out of this land of Egypt. And did God do it? Yes, he was faithful, right? He promised 
that Abraham, another uh, one of Joshua's ancestors, I'm going to make your family numerous. Your, your family's going to become a nation. Had they become a nation? Yes, God was faithful. He promised the Israelites, look, you're going to wander for 40 years. Did it happen? Yes, it happened. You see, here is where we find courage. We find courage to face the uncertainty of the future when we recount God's past faithfulness to us. And so, has there been a time where you thought, like, there's no way I'm going to survive this. There's no way I'm going to get through this. There is no path. I am overwhelmed. I can't do this. And yet, God came through. Yet, God sustained you. God worked good in that situation. He made a way. He showed up. He came through. The money came. The doctor's report came back miraculous. A person out of nowhere came, helped, listened to you. A door opened, a new career move opened up. And so, if we're going to have courage for today and tomorrow, we have to recount God's past faithfulness. All right, third thing that God does for Joshua to make him strong and courageous. God commands Joshua to meditate. And he commands us to meditate on and speak of his word. All right, so... Uh, God told Joshua, hey, I want you night and day to meditate on my law and to speak about my law. I want that to not depart from your mouth. Why is this critical? Well, because what we set our minds on and what we continually speak about, we become. We become what we set our minds on. Uh, was it Socrates? What, who would say, as you think, you are? It's true. It's true. What was God's law that Moses or Joshua was to uh, meditate on? Well, it was the law of Moses. What was the law of Moses? The first five books of the Bible. What do we find in the first five books of the Bible? Here's what we find. A God who is so crazy about us, so loving, that he created us to have in a, rela a relationship with him. And yet, because we rejected, we wanted our right to determine our lives, and we rejected and rebelled against him and his right to determine our lives, we brought sin and devastation into God's good world. And yet, we see this God who loves so immensely moving heaven and earth to redeem it all, right? This is what we see. This is what we see in the first five books of the Bible. You meditate on that, and you, you, you think about that, and you speak of that, that will shape you. Now, the same is true of us, and we have a fuller revelation than the first five books of the Bible that Joshua had, essentially. Right? We get to see how Jesus was the true Israelite. He was the true Israel. Where Israel failed to be a light to the nations that God would bless the nations through, Jesus succeeded. And through Jesus, the true Israel, God, he extends blessing and grace and redemption to the entire world. And as we meditate on this, as we think about this, as we speak about this, we become more courageous. The Apostle Paul, he tells us in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Does meditate... Day and night sound casual to you? This is why 
So many Christians are not walking in victory. This is one of the reasons. Because we have a casual relationship to the Word of God. We are casual. It is not something that we are setting our minds and hearts on so regularly, so consistently, that our minds are being renewed and transformed into minds and hearts of courage. You know what meditate means? It means think hard. Give your full attention to it. Think it through. Behold it. Study it. Understand it. Day and night, that speaks to the frequency of that intensity. There are people sleeping right now. Just being real. We are casual with the Word of God. All right. The Word has to be your mental map that you see your life through, you see your decisions, you make those through. You see God through, you see yourself through, you see others through. It's the mental map that you have to view your relationships through, your sexuality through, your, your, the, how you define the good life. It's got to be the mental map. Fourthly, last thing. God commands us to obey his law. So it's not enough just to know just to know this amazing story that God is telling. It's not enough. You see, courage doesn't just come from head knowledge alone. It has to come from experiential knowledge. Which means Joshua had, as he obeyed God's commands, he would become more courageous. Why? Because it's one thing to know that God is powerful. It is totally another thing to experience God's power. It's a totally different thing to experience his greatness in your life. To be in a situation where it's like there is no way out of this and God comes through. When you get through that situation, what do you have? A heart that has more courage. A faith that has grown. Because you have experienced the power of God in your life. You see, we, if we're going to be strong and courageous... We have to learn from experience that God can be trusted. We have to learn from experience so that this truth that we know in our head can become real to us in our hearts. So what is courage? Why do we need it? How do you get it? And let me just recap those four things of how you get it right here. God promises his presence. God appeals to his faithfulness. God commands us to meditate on and speak his word. And then God commands us to obey his law. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you love us in our fear, in our worry, in our anxiety, that you come to us. And yes, you tell us to be strong and courageous, but you tell us with a whole bunch of other things mixed in there so that we can actually do it. You promise your faithfulness to us. You give us your word to meditate on so we can see your greatness and goodness. You give us your commands to obey so as we walk in them, courage develops into more courage 
and you give us the picture of Jesus, who was the ultimate Joshua, who was so courageous for us so that we could receive his courage, so that we could have him living inside of us. Lord, make us a Joshua. This world needs more Joshuas. This world needs people that are not being, their lives being shrunk by fear, that are boldly and courageously walking into dark places with the light of Jesus. Make us Joshua's. It's the only way our city's going to change. It's the only way our nation's going to change. It's the only way our world will change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.